time to actually yeah. say something. Good morning. Um, I can't tell them the story, Grams, of how you and I got connected. Because, you know, but Graham uh, Hall and I got connected in a supernatural way in Canada. And um, then he invited me over. And I've been, not a part, but I've, I've been able to walk with you for so, so long. I remember when you first got the building. And Graham was so excited to give me a tour of what looked like a bombed out building. Oh my gosh, I'd never seen anything so, like, I don't, I thought you were going to level it and then build something new. Um, and the last time I was here, it was about four years ago, Graham was chasing Barney, saying, please take the baton. And Barney said, no, I don't want it, I don't want it. Um, but finally, he got it, and... Uh, Four years. Look at this place. Now, it's fashionable to be overly spiritual and go, well, it's just a building. This is a testimony to God. This is something that God built. And, you know, Barney, good job. You, no, 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 you didn't build the thing. But, I mean, he didn't know. Here, I just want to pass the baton. You're the man. God bless you. And happy pandemic. <laughs> right, you grabbed it and ran into the pandemic, and my gosh, um, y'all are a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And this building is a killer. It's really good. Speaking of killer, you guys use words very differently than we in America. So signing up for, for children's ministry... If you want to sign up for, for the crush, crash, crush, crash, whatever it is. <laughs> and I had to lean over and go, what's that? Oh, she goes from naught to three. I go, no, th those, are, those are little kids. Now, well, crash. And as if I'm wrong. <laughs> so, but I, I'm going to bring that back because my wife, um, we have a, very large church, about 10,000 people all over the city, and she's in charge of uh, what we call nursery, okay? <laughs> and I go, honey, you should change the name. It should be the, the crash ministry. <laughs> She'll probably not like that. And anyway, it's good to be with you. Um, I want to get into the word, but before I do that, even though, Barney, you prayed very well. There were some holes of things you missed, so I want to pray. <laughs> no. He's sitting there going, oh. Yeah, I love you too. I know, you'll get the mic after I'm done. Holy Spirit, um, we welcome you. Not only are you here amongst us, but for those of us who are sons and daughters of God, you dwell in us, and just your presence is... is uh, well, it just blows our minds that you would be with us. Your presence can transform. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do more than, than be with us. Holy Spirit, you're the one that leads us into all truth. You're the one who transforms. You're the one that communicates and imparts the heart and the mind of Jesus. Uh, so Holy Spirit, um, by your grace, 
We yield to your ministry this morning. Amen. So I'm a pretty imaginative person. And uh, I just want to let you know in Scripture it says that we're not supposed to be involved in vain imaginations. But not all imagination is vain. One of the ways that I, I, I go through the Gospels especially is I, I read it and then I imagine being there. Like, imagine being there. Could you imagine being there and watching Jesus just sort of cast demons out of someone? You'd go, whoa, did you see that? That person was crazy, and now they're not. Or someone who's dead, and then Jesus does something, and then they're not dead. I mean, just imagine being there, not just reading about it, being there. Or my favorite is every time Jesus picked a fight with the Pharisees, he picked a fight with religious people who thought they knew stuff, and he would go, he, he would just, he would pick a fight with them. He would say things that would just utterly get them upset. And if I was with Jesus, if I was following Jesus, I'd, I'd be going, yeah, Jesus, get him. Yeah, I mean, imagine just walking with Jesus and hearing him preach a lot of the words that the Pharisees preached. But everybody's going, he's saying the same words, but when Jesus preaches, there's anointing on it. There's authority. Can you imagine being there, being part? I mean, when I do that, the Gospels are always, you know, they always come alive. But when I imagine being there, then they really come alive. So in the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has said he's going to go to Galilee and speak to the towns. And people from all over are, are, are coming to listen to Jesus. They've heard about him. Jesus has sent um, some of his disciples uh, ahead. You know, they've spoken about Jesus. But now they're going to get to meet Jesus. They're going to really hear Jesus. Imagine just being in that crowd. That's all you have. I'm not Jesus. But imagine being in that crowd. Who was in that crowd? Well, there were a lot of people who were confused, just confused about life. Or they're discouraged. Some are sinful. They're doing stuff that they know is wrong, but they're doing it anyway. They don't care. Or some are sinful. They hate what they're doing, but they're stuck. But they're coming anyway. There are people who are just conflicted. They don't know what to do. There are people who are, they have a love for God, but they're trying to follow God using the wisdom of the world. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to follow God using the wisdom of the world? There's always going to be a crash. <laughs> Sorry. There's always going to be a conflict. And then there are people who are just sincerely religious. They're trying their very, very, very best to be good in their own strength. Trying really bad, trying to overcome their past in their own strength, to make up for where they've been. And then they're just people who angry, angry about anything. Angry about where they're going, angry about where they, where they are, where they've been. They're just angry. And then there are people who just carry pain. Imagine being in that crowd. 
Imagine being part of that crowd with this cross-section of humanity. That's who came to see Jesus. And then, so Jesus sees all this, says a few things, and then he says some incredibly revolutionary things to this very complicated crowd. We find this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Now, I have used this scripture so many times, usually for altar calls. Hey, having a tough life, come to Jesus, and he'll give you peace. I have used that so many times. And a few years ago, sorry, a few months ago, I just looked at this scripture in a new way. And there's a lot more going on in this scripture than I had thought previously. So I'm going I'm to give you the whole deal and then just go over each verse with the hope and expectation that we in the crowd will be ministered to uh, by it. So this is what Jesus says to everybody. Not once does he say anything about, you know, you shouldn't be carrying that burden or you shouldn't be so arrogant. Or why do you let your past define your future? I mean, he doesn't talk about any of their problems. He doesn't rebuke them about anything. He knows all their problems because he's God. He knows all their problems, and he goes, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Not one rebuke. Not one slap on the head. Not one roll of the eye. Not one tisk, tisk, tisk. You should know better. As he says, as is, come to me, you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not handing out sleeping pills. He's not handing out something that will just calm everybody's nerves. He's not doing that. He is, he is actually stating in some very deep ways who he really is and what he really does and what he really wants from us, what he really does. So let's go to the first one, come to me. For those of you who are parents, you know when you issue a command to your children, but you do it in a nice way? You know, dear, that music is rather loud. Would you, would you mind considering bring it down a bit, right? Now, everybody in that house knows that mom has just commanded the kid to turn the music down. Um, it's an invitation, but it's really a command. That's what this is. Jesus is looking at everybody, and it sounds like, oh, just come to me. Yes, but it's actually a really nice, graceful command. As is, come to me, all you who are, <coughs> excuse me, all, all who labor and are heavily burdened, which would be almost everybody in the crowd. Come to me. But I have this. I carry this. I have this. And Jesus going, yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, don't, don't turn the music down. Come to me. 
Yeah, it's an invitation, but it's really a command. Come to me. But, but, but come to me, and I will give you rest. Wait, wait, wait. Don't I have to get rid of this so I can come to you? No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. Whatever you're carrying, you come to me. You come to me, and I will give you rest. Already, the crowd is going, what? I just want to hear something so I can process and and weigh the teaching. And Jesus is commanding us to come to me for rest. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I'm not Greek, and I'm not a scholar. (laughs) Thank you, Richard, for almost laughing. Um, But that word rest, anapazo, it means a refreshing, a relief, sort of a breather, like a quiet place where you can receive ministry. David, when, when Saul started throwing uh, spears at him, he ran away, he's being persecuted, people saying bad things about him, all that. He runs into a cave, right? Well, you know, into a cave, and he, there are 400 other losers, you know, going, oh, look, here's our leader. Uh, and... But he got in the cave, then he went into a stronghold, and finally he go, I can, I can relax, I can get a breather. Jesus is saying, why don't you come to me, and I'll give you a breather. I'll give you a rest. Do you know one of the reasons why we come to church every Sunday? We don't, we don't do this, but... No matter what happens, we know when we come here, there's the chance that we can, okay, God, there's a presence. But there's more than that. When you come to Jesus and you're not saved, he might save you. (laughs) You know? I mean, you might get transformed. If you don't know Jesus and you go, oh, I have all these problems, I have all this sin, you come into his presence, guess what? He'll give you rest right? He'll transform you. You'll become born again. He won't just sort of give you a Band-Aid. It doesn't take care of any of your problems, but you're a new creation. So Jesus is going, hey, look, your problem isn't what you're carrying. It's that you're carrying them. Why don't you come to me, and I will give you rest. I will transform you. I I will minister to you right where you are. Now, what most people do is they look at the next verse and think it's a continuation of what came on before, but not really. I think Jesus had a pregnant pause after, you know, come and I'll give you rest. And then he went into the next thing. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, again, that sounds like an invitation, and it is. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But it also, again, if you do a little bit of the Greek and all, it's sort of a command, too. Like, hey, you with the issues, you in the crowd, come to me, and I'll minister to you. But wait, there's more to this message. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, the people in that crowd, they immediately had two reference points as to what that means. Here's the first one. Now, you don't have many oxen around, but back in the day, they had a lot of oxen. And there were the experienced oxen, and then there were the young, strong oxen. How do you train a young oxen to pull to do its job, right? 
Well, no human being can do that. So what they do is they yoke the younger oxen to the older one, to the bigger one, the more experienced one, the stronger one. Imagine being a young ox. And you get yoked with an older ox, and then the older ox starts going. You go, wait a second. I mean, it, it would chafe. You'd go, wait a that's not what I want to do. I just want to do oxen things my way, right? I mean, that's what, and the, the older oxen go, this is what we're doing, right? And so they're going, wait a second. Being yoked is not a comfortable thing. The other reference would be this. Back in those days, when an old boy wanted to become a young man in the, in, in the Jewish community. Um, by the way, in America, we have this problem. We have a whole bunch of old boys who think they're young men. Right, they're 25 years old going, oh, I hope God brings me a great wife. You know, anyway, we call them old boys. They're not yet young men. We have this little saying where we come from, no money, no honey. <laughs> In any case, if an if a old boy wants to become a young man and he wants to grow in God, grow in stature, grow in maturity, what he would do is he'd be part of a synagogue and he would, he would, he would look at a number of the different rabbis there and he'd go, I like this one. Get to know the rabbi. And if he really liked the rabbi, what he would do is he would make some sort of appeal or application. He would go, Mr. Mr. Rabbi, would you be my rabbi? And the rabbi, he would, he would think about it, right? Um, this request implied a number of things. Number one, if you be my rabbi, I'll serve you. I'll make your life better. Number two, if you be my rabbi, I want you to teach me how to think. I want you to teach me how to feel, manage my emotions. I want you to teach me how to behave, and I want you to teach me how to th see things. You know, over time, not all in one class, right? And then the third thing is, if you, my rabbi, you teach me all those things, and I will regard your teaching as authoritative, that your teaching will have authority over the ideologies of, of, of the culture. The, the teaching will have authority over my best ideas. Your teaching will have authority over my past. I mean, it, it was like that. And so here's Jesus going, come to me, I will minister to you unconditionally. I'll transform you, I'll minister to you. And now uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Everybody in that crowd went, whoa. Now remember, Imagine being in that crowd. Here's Jesus saying, come to me and uh, make me your rabbi. Don't get theological. You get the idea. There's a reaction when Jesus goes, hello, I happen to be God, and you all wear many different yokes. And maybe you have a closet full of different yokes. Well, for church, we have this yoke. And then for family, we have this yoke. And for business, a different yoke. And then I have a culture. And then I have my past. And I have my wounds. I have, and all these things teach me. 
All these things, depending on where I'm leaning, have authority in my life. And Jesus goes, you know, you can only really wear one yoke at a time. Why don't you come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. You don't get rid of all the other sources of information, but why don't you make my teaching authoritative? Why don't you let me be the big ox? Now, the natural reaction, I don't know about y'all in, here in, in England, but in the United States, we just go, oh, I don't know. Where's the freedom in that, right? <laughs> Where's the freedom? Think about that. Look, Scripture says we're going to be a slave to the one we obey. This idea that freedom is we get to do whatever we want unopposed and you know, no consequences. That, that's a fantasy. That is a fantasy. There has never been a freedom like that ever. We're going to be enslaved to something. We're something, some source of information is going to have authority in our lives. The issue is to what or to who are we enslaved? I mean, how's it going for you? Well, I, I love Jesus, but I, I just like to follow my passions. How's that working for you? Okay? Or I know God's view of what marriage should look like, but I've got a better way. See, I can do British really well. I can do a better way. <laughs> no, sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Um, but, you know, you get the idea. It's, it's just amazing. So where's the freedom? Right? Here's another one. A natural reaction. You know, Ben, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like brainwashing. That's exactly what it sounds like. Years ago, um, I was teaching at the University of Minnesota. God got a hold of me, baptized me in the Holy Spirit. I was a philosophy professor. Jesus, help me. And uh, look, I haven't given up thinking. I'm still pretty smart, but like my brain is submitted to someone who's a lot smarter than me. Um, anyway... God had, I was doing a revival. I mean, a week-long, incredible revival. I didn't know what I was doing. And in the middle of campus, and, you know, radio, and people came over. It was crazy. And I was at the bank because I needed some money, some cash. Remember what cash? Anyway, so I'm standing there, and this lady comes up to me. She goes, are you that... Ben Goodman guy? And I'm going, uh, yes. She goes, uh, are you the one leading that revival? And I'm going, yes. And she goes, my daughter has been going to those meetings. Now, I had no situational awareness. I, I, she said that, and I go, well, praise God. <laughs> I, it didn't occur to me that she was really angry. She goes, well, I'm not happy about it. And I was, I mean, what do you do? She, she goes, you know, you know what you're doing? All you're doing is you're just brainwashing those kids. And I went, I'd never heard that. I was young enough in ministry where I'd never heard that, right? I'd never heard that demonic lie. Never. I was back on my feet, uh, back on my heels. And uh, I'm going, God, what do I say to this lady? And the Holy Spirit, he's a genius. This is what came out of my mouth. I went, ma'am, you're right. That's exactly what I was trying to do. But the issue is not whether or not you're brainwashed. The issue is 
What do you wash your brain with? Now, if I'd only stopped right there. <laughs> so after I said that, pregnant pause, and I, went, I go, this is bad outreach. I go, what do you wash your brain with? <laughs> but it's a relevant question, isn't it? What are you yoked to? What teaching? What has authority in your life? Is it the latest, greatest opinion that makes you feel more important? The ideology that if you tell people that you believe in this ideology, people go, oh, you are definitely more moral than more other people. We call that in virtue signaling in the United States. I don't know what you guys call it. Anyway, because you have different words. Crash. <laughs> yeah. So really, um, Jesus is going, there's a reason why you are carrying what you are carrying, because there's a whole bunch of things having authority over your life that really are not going to work out for you. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. Oh, that is crazy. So Jesus is basically saying, you know, hey, who's your rabbi? Do you have a collection? Well, here, there's Jesus when necessary, but then the most contemporary ideology that is working that, that shows that, you know, Scripture is good, but it's not as relevant as it could be. We've got a better idea. We've got a better Jesus. You know, the, you know that kind of, I won't use that word. So after Jesus has stunned the whole crowd, maybe offended some of them, I dare say some of you are going, wait a second. That's not the Jesus I know. He just loves us and everything. Jesus is not the divine enabler. He takes us. He loves us. He doesn't whip us. But he's, he's bound and determined to transform us. Like, that's how he is. He just does it a lot better than the world does. So after that, then Jesus goes, remember, imagine being in the crowd. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I know if I was in the crowd, I'd go, Jesus, you just said for us to not give up all the things we know and all our experiences, but to have your words as being authoritative. That doesn't sound like a gentle and humble person. That, do that definitely doesn't sound like it. Come to me, be yoked with me, and I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm sorry, I'd have questions about that. Oh, you're just some sort of really nice Jewish totalitarian. Me, I would probably say, that arrogant guy, who does he think he is? Great question. He happens to think that he's God. He's not just any rabbi. He's not just a convenient representation of God. He's like the guy. And he's going to take my yoke upon you. Um, and learn from me, I'm gentle and humble in heart, even if it's startling, he gets to issue that invitation. He gets to issue that command. Why? Because he's God. He can. Now, but where does the gentle and humble thing come in? I imagine that young bull 
didn't think that the old bull was gentle or humble. Uh-uh, this is chafing. Have you ever just tried to, you had one way of living life, and you said, oh, okay, I'm going to do it Jesus' way? It's hard on the front end. Go ahead. If you've never had a budget and Jesus says, get, get a budget, oh, that's so hard, right? Forgive your enemies. Oh, the bummer. I was, I was figuring out where I was going to bury the bodies, you know? <laughs> this is really hard. After all, what they did, right? When you decide to do things Jesus' way, it will, it, it will be difficult, it will be conflicted, and all that, but Jesus will never beat you if you fail. Three steps forward, two steps back, and he'll go, he's a God of all encouragement. Okay, this is how you learn. He, he's gentle, he's humble. He doesn't lord it over you the way the world does. He goes, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. Okay, you take my yoke, I will teach you. Have you ever noticed doing things God's way takes a little while? And on the front end, my dad used to say, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly in the beginning. Right? And that's what, but Jesus, once we go, okay, teach me your way here, it's hard, it's difficult. We complain, and he'll go, that's all right. Come on, keep going. You can do it. Here, I'll give you extra grace. Jesus does not drive us. He leads us. First principle we can learn. You really can't experience the character of God without first obeying him. You want to know how gentle and humble he is? Start doing things his way, and you'll go, he's so kind. His goodness leads me to repentance. It's you don't know what it's like to be born again until you obey the call to repent. You don't know. You don't know what it's like to be truly forgiven until you repent. You, you just won't know. But once you do, nobody knows what it's like to be saved until they get saved. Nobody does. But once they, they make the step, once they make the surrender, they go, oh, I never knew it could be like this. Many people are saying, God, would you show me who you really are, and then I'll obey. Sometimes God throws us a bone, but usually, no, uh, do what I want. Uh, surrender, give it up, and then you'll experience how I really am. Isn't that amazing? And then he says this. And you will find rest for your souls. We're almost done, Barney. Almost done. When I first read this a few months ago, I got very conflicted, very confused, because I went, Jesus, in 1128, you said, come to me and I'll give you rest. And now, if, if, if we take your yoke and just learn to do things your way, have your, your teaching over time having authority over our best ideas? And it says, and then you will find rest for your souls. I'm going, is this sort of like a, are you tricking us? I mean, that's, look, I, I have a Jewish background, so we don't trust much to anybody, you know. Are you tricking us? A um, little bit of cynicism. And then I, I, I did a little more digging, and I found that, the first rest was like a commodity. It's something that Jesus can give us, salvation. 
healing, blessing. He takes from himself and gives. This kind of rest is just a little different. It's anapausine. Just a couple letters can make a difference. What it means is to cease laboring and striving in your own strength to be good. It's to cease trying really hard to experience the life that you think is good. It's to cease that. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is when you cease trying so hard, you don't become lazy. When you cease trying so hard and you're wearing his yoke, then the supernatural power of God comes in and starts living that life for you, living that life through you. Look, there are some people I, I don't love. I'm telling you, I don't love. And in my old self, I would have just had a good fight. And if I won, then I'd feel better about myself. I have actually had to say, God, I have tried hard to love this person. I cannot love this person. You're going to have to love them through me. Oh, all the weight is off me. And it's a, sometimes the best love I show people is not to say anything, you know? Imagine, can you imagine living a life where you're not trying so hard to be good enough, trying so hard to fix yourself, trying so hard, and you go, okay, I'm, Lord, I'm going to take your yoke. Your ways are going to have authority, and over time, I will find rest for our souls. Now, this may be a little American here, but... Your soul is a lot different than mine. And your soul is different than his. When we cease striving, and we find rest for our souls, then God's supernatural power helps us to become the kind of person that God created us to be. When we rest from doing things our way, drawing from yokes that are not from him, when we do that, we actually start fulfilling the unique purposes for each of us. We find rest for our souls. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus said, look, live a life over time where my yoke, my teaching, not only is informative, but authoritative, and you will find rest for your souls. And he ends with this. Imagine being in that crowd. You know, some people in that crowd going, when is he done? I want to leave. I want to go get a coffee and forget that this guy ever came. He has offended the fire out of me. Then he ends with this. I mean, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know if I was in that crowd, I'd go, no way. Mm -mm. I mean, have you ever noticed that Jesus' words... Jesus' way of doing things are usually not ours, and they're not comfortable. They rub or they cut against our nature, the world system, our best I, I, um, ideologies, other yokes. Have you ever just noticed that? You know, love your enemies. Ah, I'd rather not. Submit to authority. Ah, I'd rather not. These are... That's the sound of a soul going, it's just a sound. <laughs> Jesus' words are not comfortable. 
But Jesus is always thinking long-term. Always. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, This is love for God, knowing all the songs, tithing a lot, worshiping, and just always being joyful and exciting. No. I mean, that's, that's not a bad life, right? This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Again, we go, that can't be true. There's a, you know, some, some young lady goes, I just want a man. I want a good-looking man. I want a hot man. Yeah, I want a Christian man. Well, there's a guy. He is hot, and he really likes me, and he wears a cross. He may be as saved as an Easter egg, but we'll get to him. I mean, you know, it's amazing. And, and God's going, no, 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 just wait. This guy's got, he's got to be yoked to the Lord. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Or here's people going, well, I haven't given my life to Jesus, but I'm on the way. I think I'll wait, right? And then you go outside, and then a garbage truck just runs you over, and you're dead. And guess where you're not, right? In the short run, God's commands, they're burdensome. They're difficult. Forgive those who sexually molested you. There's so many things like that. Or forgive that leader who didn't acknowledge you the way you think you should be treated. Just forgive them, right? Oh, uh, short run, it's easier to hold on to your best thinking. In the long run, bitterness defiles. In the long run, if you don't belong to Jesus, it's going to be a tough eternity. His commands in the long run are not burdensome. So the question for all of us in the crowd How do I know if I'm wearing his yoke? How do I know? And I'm going to, it's simple but not easy. Does your yoke win when it conflicts with the clear teaching of Scripture? If it doesn't, and you go, Lord, this is what I really want. This is what I really think. If I were God, this is what I would teach, but I know what you say. If you go, Lord, I yield, would you teach me your way? You're wearing the yoke of the Lord. The yoke of the Lord is not perfect obedience immediately or ever. It's just yielding when God's way and our ways conflict. And that's, as far as I know, that's a lifelong process. If you ever get to the place where you go, gosh, I don't have to yield anymore, right? Rejoice, because you're in heaven. But in, <laughs> until then. So I want to pray for us. The real question is, how, how will we respond long-term to Jesus' invitation and command? That when we have issues, do we go to him? And when it comes to how to live, do we take his yoke upon us and learn from him and his ways we just regard as authoritative? And over time, we find out 
that his ways really are the best ways. So Lord, I want to pray, pray for all of us. There are some of us who just need to come to you. It's not we need to come to you and we just need to come to you and keep coming to you because you are the solution to whatever we're carrying. But Lord, we want to find rest for our souls. We want to experience the fullness of who you've created us to be, the fullness of your purposes for our lives here on planet Earth. That's what we really want. Lord, would you, you will not force your yoke upon us. But for those of us who are willing, we choose yet again to take your yoke upon us because we want to find rest for our souls. Amen.